0: Hello and welcome to Babelfish, the podcast where humanists, freethinkers and atheists share their life stories, the podcast where non-believers from all over the world share the challenges and the risks they face. You can support Babelfish by becoming a patron. Do it on patreon.com or the Danish equivalent, tenor.dk. You'll find the links in the episode description. I hope you'll enjoy today's episode. To today's podcast, I'm now in the UK talking to Andrew Copson from both Humanists UK and Humanists International. So maybe you can tell me a bit about your roles, and then we can talk about your way to humanism.
1: Of course. Well, I'm chief executive of mm. Humanists UK, have been for the past ten years almost, oh. <laughs> a long, long time. time. Yeah. yeah, and even before then, actually, I worked on the education work mm-hmm. at the uh, uh, what was then the British Humanist Association. Um, so really, being Chief Executive of Humanist UK means running everything. Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, four departments, the same as lots of humanist organisations do. One on community services, ceremonies and pastoral support. Um, one on public affairs, advocacy and campaigning. Uh, one on communications, talking about humanism, uh, mm-hmm. reaching out to people uh, about humanism. And then our administrative and IT teams, which keep us all on the road. Yeah. So we're... Um, A small office or a big office, depending on what you're comparing us with. With thirty people uh, in London and some staff also in Wales and Northern (laughs) Ireland.
0: Big compared to everybody. I think that's probably right. Yeah, everyone is small compared to Norway, of course.
1: Yeah, yeah, but we're big compared with others. Yeah, and um, that's my day job. And then, as you say, I'm also currently the president of Humanist International, Mm. um, which is a very different role. Um, Obviously, uh, is really ceremonial and honorary, I like to think, you know. So I chair the board, um, but of course Humanist International has its own chief executive, um, Gary McClelland, and so my role is to uh, lead the board in supporting but also critically challenging him Mm. as he implements the work of Humanist International. And uh, I'm into my second mandate now as, yeah. as president of humanist international I was the first directly elected president of humanist international we changed oh, yeah, the rules okay, recently yeah. um, and I'm my second just starting my second three years
0: mm-hmm. yeah and how you've been involved in humanism for a long time yes and how did you become a humanist
1: well I'm uh, uh, I'm not one of those who has an interesting story okay. about how they, <laughs> about how they had some sort of um, religious upbringing or some other sort of upbringing and suddenly encountered humanism and realized yes mm. this is what i believe yeah um this is humanism that's not me because um i'm a at least third generation humanist oh, um yeah. so you know my own mother is a member uh, of humanist uk my grandparents were also humanists and so um my family background the background that i had when i was a child my culture mm. um was humanist so okay. It's uh, it's upbringing. Um, of course, that's an upbringing of a very distinctive type. Um, so I'm from uh, a small former mining town in the Midlands of uh, the UK, quite mm-hmm. a working class place, quite a very working class family that I am from. Um, and I don't know if this is the same in other European countries. In fact, I know it's not in, in many, but in England at least, that social Background is quite secular. Yeah. Um, okay. It's uh, you know the sort of social institutions I knew when I was a child um, were either civic, you know, they mm. were part of the town, or they were minors welfare, okay, part of the not never part of, church, no, not, never no, part of no. churches. No. So nothing like that in my in my family background, and my education, uh, although I was from a background where no one had been to university, um, we had to. Was your
0: first generation university? Yes. Also, oh, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, we had these this scheme in the UK where children from poor backgrounds um, got paid into private schools by the state. Oh, yeah. It's gone now. Yeah. Uh, when, well, Unfortunately. Well, who yeah. knows? Yeah, yeah, I don't know what I feel about that, yeah. actually. No. It was the Labour government that abolished it, yeah. and their, their argument was that it was a sort of privilege. But okay. um, it, it certainly changed my life because mm-hmm. it meant that um, I did go to university and I went to a school where there was a very strong academic ethos. And that, I suppose... Was part of my completion as a humanist or mm-hmm. finishing as a humanist because what I got exposed to in my education was the sort of Western liberal academic tradition. Yeah. So I studied ancient history and Latin and Greek and classics, and that's what I went oh, on to all do. The yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> at Oxford, and the Latin, the Latin name, the real subject name actually for classics, o- Oxford is Literae Humaniores, ah, yeah. more, more humane yeah. uh, letters. It's strongly linked to a sort of humanistic tradition of uh, scholarship and understanding. Uh, of the world, and so that was uh, that was the, the 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 completion of me as a mm-hmm. humanist, I suppose. So a sort of secular working class culture combined with a um, liberal humanistic academic. And how culture, did you
0: how did you then became active in well, the
1: movement? Good question. So um, I only joined Humanist UK actually in two thousand and two, mm-hmm. um, when I was already what would I have been twenty two, and that was. Uh, in response to a specific campaign that I wanted to support, really. Okay, so yeah. that they, they were the years in which the government, the UK government in England, was pursuing um, the growth of religious schools.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: Religious schools in the public system. Mm. So increasing the amount of money that went to churches and other religious groups to provide the state mm. schools. Um, we have this system in the UK, which is, well, in England and Wales in particular, um, which is that a third of our public state schools are run by churches. They're 100% state funded. Yeah, it's a lot. 100% funded by by the state, Mm -hmm. by taxpayers generally, Um, but churches run them and they're allowed lots of powers and privileges. They select who's allowed to go to them Mm -hmm. um, based on their parents, um, you know, religious attendance and practice. Um, They have... a lot of power over who they hire and fire based on religion, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of curricular control, um, which is quite unusual. Even even countries in the world where they have state funded religious schools usually restrict yeah. um, what they're you know what they're allowed to to do. The UK is one of only four countries in the OECD to allow their state funded religious schools to select you know to discriminate on religious grounds, and in very lots of different mm-hmm. ways. Um, uh, it's sort of egregious, and um, that was quite a shock in the early noughties, you know, yeah. 2001, 2002, because like many people, I assumed that we were moving in a direction where those things would phase be phased out. You know, state religious schools in particular had been on a downward trend over mm-hmm. the years. In the 80s, of course, under the Conservative government, they weren't particularly keen on, um, you know, uh, religion in education, um, and even in the 90s. And then for the Blair government, which was very progressive in, in mm-hmm. all sorts of ways, introducing the Human Rights Act, introducing the yeah. Equality Act, um, doing all sorts of uh, positive, some positive things, um, to then seem to almost turn the clock back in this yeah. religionising way. So strange. Yeah. Shock yeah. and a sort of wake-up. And so having always been a humanist as far as I could re- remember, um, subject to some doubts in my teenage years when I thought about religion, but then, you know, rejected it, um, I then actually joined the okay, humanist yeah. organisation. And that's quite typical, I think, because a lot of people, a lot of humanists, not just in the UK, but i observe this around the world. Mm. They can say, well, of course, I'm a humanist, you know, it's just common sense, isn't it? Um, But why do I need to join an organization? (laughs) Well, that was the reason that that I joined. Of course, there are many others, Mm. many other reasons, good reasons. Everyone listening should join a humanist organization wherever they are right now. Um, But um, that was mine.
0: Yeah, we face the same in
1: Denmark. Mm. Everybody thinks they're humanists, but they don't join. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And in Denmark, also, there are good reasons to do exactly. so with state and church. Yeah, and all that.
0: exactly. Um, but besides the challenges regarding the religious schools, what are the challenges? Because I guess there's no challenges in being a humanist in the UK, but you're facing other challenges regarding secularism. Sure. Kind
1: of... I mean, there are problems being a humanist, of course, okay. in the yeah. UK, especially for people from very religious backgrounds. Yeah. Um, and a, a part of our program of work in our community services department provides. Um, peer support and mentoring and so safe it's local
0: where yeah. people are discriminated exactly. Yeah. So
1: if they're like, especially from very strong religious backgrounds, yeah. you okay. know, um, Jehovah's Witnesses or yeah. some forms yeah. of Islam or ultra Orthodox Judaism or whatever, um, that can you know be a real problem for mm-hmm. you socially and in your life. And in other ways too. Um, for example, I mentioned that state. Schools, religious schools, can Mm. choose uh, their pupils, but also that they have lots of religion in them and so on. And if you're a humanist parent outside of a town, your local state school is probably a Christian school.
0: And it's the only one. And
1: it's the only one, you know, um, in the village or close by. And so, um, you know, that's a problem too. You you face things like... So England and Wales um, are the only... Nations in the world where the law requires daily Christian worship in all schools, um, and um, not all schools, of course, do it. No. Um, but many do. And if you're uh, in one of those rural schools and you're a humanist parent, um, and the majority of parents now are non-religious in in, in the UK, and probably at least half of them will be humanists, yeah, um, then you face a problem. You know, yeah. what are your children going to uh, go along to these? prayers Mm. and hear their teachers who you've told them to trust, say things that then you want them not to trust, um, raises a lot of difficulties, or do you withdraw your children from that activity, Mm. which is your legal right, but then face the sort of alienation um, that that um, can produce. So it's not necessarily easy uh, in the UK, nowhere near Any sort of persecution, but the structural discrimination uh, does exist, especially in our public services. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, if you want to have a humanist marriage, for example, like in Denmark as well, as the United Nations Special Rapporteur on Freedom of (laughs) Religion and Belief has pointed out in relation to both the UK and Denmark, you know, unlike our religious fellow citizens, we can't have a legal humanist uh, ceremony—a ceremony that reflects our own beliefs. But that, you know, in a global sense. That's trivial. Yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs) But but still... (laughs) But it's still, yeah, it's still not good. Um, But you're right. um, The the challenges that exist uh, in the UK are not social. There's no social penalty to being a humanist or a very minimal social penalty for most people. Mm. The the challenges are uh, political, structural, secularist challenges. And the UK is probably... Um, the least religious society with the most religious constitution, you know, yeah. in, in the world. We're yeah. almost like the opposite of the United States. Mm-hmm. You know, the United States has this, in theory, uh, perfectly secular constitution. But they are s- but really they're religious. so religious. It's <laughs> one of the most religious society in you the You can hardly world. be
0: elected for anything. Oh, exactly. Unless you're
1: religious Even Jefferson yeah. caused yeah. consternation yeah. by being elected, you know, because he wasn't quite the right sort of Protestant. Yeah. You know, so so yes, exactly. Uh the, the, the US is like the exact opposite. and the, So the UK is, is the exact opposite of the, of the US. Um, and we're the only sovereign state in the world, apart from Iran, to have clerics in our legislature. As yeah. of right, 26 bishops, ex officio in the Lords. Obviously our monarch must be uh, a member of the Church of England. Mm. Um, if the Queen decides tomorrow that she sees the truth in Islam or wants to become a Buddhist, well, that's it. She's not the Queen anymore.
0: Exactly. Um,
1: and we and, have the same
0: with our Queen in Denmark. Yes, exactly. She also has to be Denmark is quite
1: similar. Into yeah. Denmark is the other country in the world, apart from England, that has the most um, implicated yeah. church with state. You know. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but it's not as bad as the UK. No it's, <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> So Christianity is privileged, of course, in all sorts of ways, in the school curriculum, in our Mm. constitution, um, in our parliament, um, in foreign policy, Mm. um, and in domestic policy when it comes to public services, the provision of pastoral support in prisons or hospitals, and uh, so on and so forth. So um, when it comes to the right to freedom of religion or belief and equal treatment on grounds Mm. of religion or belief, key secularist principles, key liberal principles, um, I would say... Um, the UK is quite low down.
0: Yeah, so there's lots to do. Lots to do mm-hmm. in those
1: in those in those ways in policy terms. Yeah. And a
0: little, uh, is there progress or how is what's the status in the UK? Progress
1: in England. In England, and in okay. The, no, no. Uh, this is. Uh, no. I'm not saying yes. No. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> progress in England happens so slowly. Yeah. Is what I was going to say. Okay. That it's almost undetectable when it oh, does happen well, yeah so it's, it's a difficult difficult question to mm. answer i think um so bits of law like the human rights act mm. which enshrined in our domestic law rights like the right to privacy the right to family life and the right to freedom of thought and religion yeah. and belief um, and laws like the equality act which enshrined in our domestic law um the right to equal treatment in employment and education and so on; those laws have had a, have had a difference. Mm. They've begun to um, wash away the privileges okay. that yeah. Christianity, in particular, had. But they are implemented piece by piece Mm -hmm. through the court system you know we don't have a proper constitutional court in the UK we don't have a proper constitution Uh, we don't have a written (laughs) constitution at all Um, and so change that happens making use of those two pieces of law Mm. in particular is very slow yeah Um, and I think always will be okay yeah and the other problem I think is that and I think this is probably true of Denmark, and, and Norway and other countries, I think, that, that have established churches or some sort of church-state arrangement that is not disestablishment. Mm. Um, you know, we're not going to have 19th century or early 20th century-style revolutions in those countries that suddenly make a secular state. Right? These things will happen slowly, piece by piece, yeah. um, partly in the, as the spirit of freedom perhaps grows. Um, but partly also as the number of Christians diminishes, you know, yeah. privilege for the Church of England looks increasingly out of place in the UK when under 16% of people are members of the Church of England and yeah. 1% yeah. of young people are members of the Church of England. So when 99% of people under the age of 25 aren't members of the national church, how is it the national church? It's not you it's know, the national it's not church, not, church anymore. No, no, exactly. No. So um, I think that over time those sorts of things will... Will sort themselves out. Mm-hmm. Wales, of course, doesn't have a national church. The church oh. was disestablished a hundred years ago in Wales. A hundred years ago, yeah. last year.
0: And that's kind of something that I think people outside the UK not always mm. think that think about that. The UK is several countries. Yes, we that's think true. Of, we think about the UK as one. Well, but... <laughs> it's one. It's
1: like the Trinity, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, well, for the four, I suppose. And it in, can in be confusing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is one country, but it is also a number of nations. Yeah. Um, England, Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland are all different in their church state settlements actually. So in England, there's no doubt at all, Mm -hmm. there's the established church, the Church of England. And, you know, that's the case. England is a Christian state, is an Anglican state. Um, In Wales, the Church uh, of Wales was disestablished in 1920, Mm -hmm. um, which means that Wales and the Welsh Assembly are pretty much secular institutions and secular governments. they have some vestiges of uh, Christian political, um, of the Christian political regime. Like, mm-hmm. for example, the law on daily Christian worship is also in force in, in oh. Wales still. But that's really just because the Welsh government hasn't changed it. But they oh, could okay. if they wanted yeah, okay. to. So it's a legacy law from mm. when they were England and Wales. So they got just gotten, haven't they just come got around to, here. Got, got in to it. In yeah. Northern Ireland, of course, which is the most religious part mm. of the UK. Um, is also a secular administration okay. um, yeah. in the sense that there's no established church. And the church in Ireland was disestablished in the late 19th century. Um, in Scotland, it's very different again. And the, the, the Church of Scotland, so the Church of England was never established in Scotland. Mm. No. The Church of Scotland, of which the Queen is a member as soon as she crosses the border, okay. as <laughs> if by magic, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> then is a national church sees itself as a national church and in some ways behaves as a national church so for example um, national ceremonies still quite often will happen Mm -hmm. uh, in church of scotland churches in edinburgh Um, but in 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 most ways scotland is a is a secular state Mm -hmm. and i think let's 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 think about as a thought experiment if scotland became independent um, which, you know, occasionally there's, there's talk that we'll it, talk it about might. especially <laughs> regarding
0: related to Brexit. Yes, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah.
1: Um, but let's not go there. No. <laughs> um, uh, can you imagine it would be anything other than a secular state? Mm. No, I think it would, okay. of course it would be.
0: Yeah, and they also have the humanist weddings, so yes, really Scotland. popular in yeah.
1: Scotland. Yeah. And in Northern Ireland now as well. Yeah,
0: mm. it's progress. Yeah, because they are legally binding in Scotland. Yes, in Scotland
1: and Northern Ireland, humanist... Yeah. Weddings are legal marriages, mm. unlike in England or Wales, which is yeah. a campaign we're still fighting here. But, yeah, I mean, humanism in Scotland is is, is uh, very successful.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And how, if you look outside, if you talk about the internationally and globally, the humanist movement, how do you see it today? Because there's a lot of differences depending on which part of the world you're in. And oh, a yes. A lot of some places in the world, humanists are facing... Not just discrimination, but actually risk their lives?
1: Yes, absolutely. Being humanists. Well, globally, we're stronger Mm. and more prevalent than we ever were. Yeah. Um, And I think it's really important that we realize that in those countries where humanists are being persecuted today, um, viciously, Mm. mm, up to the point of death in many cases, um, some decades ago, we didn't have any humanists at all. No. so, to some extent um there is a positive trend yeah. underlying a very negative story yeah. um and I think that the question we all must ponder mm-hmm. is which aspect of this which trend you know will prevail yeah um when you read a story about how egypt has used has closed down uh humanist facebook pages or indonesia has done that or malaysia Mm. has done that or whatever um you think that's terrible yeah um and this is awful um but you also realize that those pages were able to be set up in the first place because of the amazing connectivity of these Mm. new technologies which allow people to find each other in ways never
0: isn't social media has done a lot of Absolutely. Things,
1: yeah. um, and the prevalence of the English language as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there's almost no one, for example, in the Arab world who doesn't speak at least a few words of English and I think yeah. that um, there is a secularity in the English language to some extent mm-hmm. um, that is sort of um, uh, what's a nicer word than corrosive? I want something that solvent. <laughs> you know what I mean? It washes away. Yeah, it washes away. And <laughs> yeah, a lot of religious talk mm. quite, quite, quite often um, and casts things in a different light. Yeah. Uh, the assumptions that underpin the English language these days are quite secular. Um, and I think even that, uh, increasing, increasingly becoming the global language, mm. is an instrument of secularisation yeah. around the world. Um, so I think in all sorts of ways, from technological to linguistic to social, um, there's cause to be optimistic about, mm. the, about the future of humanism in the world. Um, notwithstanding the fact that at the moment we're facing extreme pressure uh, in a very large number of countries and I expect that will get worse um, in the short term um, at least because especially the tying together of religion and uh, nationalism, Mm -hmm. authoritarian uh, regimes like in Russia um, even in a, a wannabe way the United States But certainly in um, Eastern Europe, Central and Eastern Europe. But even, you know, the former government in Denmark
0: claimed that Denmark was a Christian
1: country. Right.
0: No one has never claimed that before. It's
1: mad, isn't it? Uh,
0: So why? Then we have a new government now and they don't say the same things, but we just had... Four years where government saying that Denmark was a Christian
1: country. Yeah, but our former Prime Minister David Cameron used to say it once or twice a year, yeah. and every time it caused great outrage. You yeah. know? No one could really understand, I think, why he was why, saying it. Even. Why?
0: It's not um, necessary.
1: No, I think he it. was appealing to a very small, very elderly yeah. party constituency. Yeah. That, um, what he means is, it's not Muslim, of course. That's what yeah, they really exactly. <laughs> That's what they really it mean. It the when same in Denmark. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Same At everywhere. The
0: message. Yeah. So, yeah. That's
1: the sub the yeah. dog whistle. Yeah. Um. So I I, I imagine that will carry on growing for a while um, and that linking together of um, nationalism with with religion is quite important because Mm. the message it sends is, you know, don't believe in universal human rights and universal values, which is central to the humanist message is that we are one uh, species and we are, you know, what's true in one place is also true in another Mm. and that's, that's, that's something that we believe in, the nature of truth. Um, and that it's possible to determine what a good and fulfilling and happy human life is and that that's not something that's necessarily culturally specific. Um, So, you know, the the message from Russia or from China in a different way um, or from the sort of ethnic nationalists um, is the same as the one of religious extremists in the Arab world is Mm. saying, you know, don't believe that, don't believe that universality. We're different, we're special, this is a tribe, this is a Mm. nation. Um, you know, we have a certain uh, nature, um, and our culture is to be mm. uh, respected. And the idea, which is very strongly pushed, not just by the Arab world, but by China and by Russia, at uh, the United Nations and other international institutions, the idea that universal human rights must somehow give way mm. to uh, traditional values yeah. or national culture, um, <laughs> is probably as big a threat um, to humanism today as religion is.
0: Yeah, I could imagine, uh, because it's discussed a lot, even in Western countries, right?
1: So Exactly, and it has if, that toxic appeal everywhere.
0: Exactly, and if if the country, if the parts of the world that has been fighting for the universal human rights are go, moving yeah. away from it, then why why should the rest of the world then exactly. move in the right direction? Exactly, <laughs> I
1: mean, this is true of secularism yeah. as well. It's a risk of yeah. secularism, out of liberalism, out of human rights, yeah. is that... Um, Part of the threat comes from hostile mm. uh, forces, but the other part of the threat comes from cowardice and weakness and yeah. equivocation yeah. Uh, in uh, the parts of the world, as you say, which mm. have been historically great advocates. Yeah, and and it seems like values. we need
0: to keep fighting for it in our part of the world, even though we thought, oh, yeah. now we're there or almost there.
1: Yeah. So. Well, that's enlightenment. Enlightenment is a process, mm, you know. It's yeah. not a destination, <laughs> and I think that we have to go on fighting for it always.
0: Yeah, exactly. But I, I'm, now. I've been traveling in the countries in Africa, and I've ex- exactly seen this that many of the humanists there, the small, they're really small organizations, right? So, and they've been happy that they can connect with humanists in other countries, discovering that there are many. Humanists in the world, mm. so I think social media, the internet, Absolutely. and also, of course, that everybody, almost, almost everybody, speaks English, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, has done a huge thing
1: in uh, in those countries, so. and they say it themselves. I mean, it's changed Humanist International's yeah. entire business model, yeah. really. You know, yeah. I mean, if you think when in the nineteen fifties, when um, uh, when Humanist International was started as the International mm. Humanist and Ethical Union,
0: yeah.
1: um, the old name. Um, It was very much an an umbrella organization for big national organizations with memberships and constitutions and and so on and so forth. Now, um, it's much more like a network. I mean, we have the organizations, but the way in which humanists in Uganda or in Mm -hmm. Nigeria or Ghana or Malaysia um, or even Latin America engage... Um, with humans International in practice is in a much more diffuse online and networked way than that sort of big organisations with chairs. Yeah, you can get in
0: contact with small... I've met people where there are only maybe 10, 20 that are active, but they still feel connected to the global...
1: Well, everything you're doing is sort of a symptom of that as well. The fact that you can go about... Talking to everybody. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's it's possible for that reason. That's
0: also why I find it important to... Do what I do. Yeah, and, definitely. And uh, it makes it vivid. And make make everybody visible. Yeah. No matter what part of the world you're in. So yeah, yeah, I think yeah. it's a I think it's a good trend. Very good. I <laughs> yeah. agree completely. Yeah. Okay. But thank you, Andrew. Oh. Thank nice you. Talking to you. Where are you off to next? Um I'm next after the holidays I will be travelling Asia. Wonderful. Yeah. And uh Later today, I'll be talking to Giovanni and Bob. Alright, they can tell you everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> thank, you.
0: Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening. Remember, you can support Babelfish by becoming a patron. You can also follow Babelfish on Facebook and on Instagram. You'll find the links in the episode description. Until next time, be a happy human.